And thank you, team, for leading us to sing to, to worship the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue to do that as we, as we open his word to us. So if you have your Bibles and you would turn with me over to James chapter 5, we'll continue in our study. We're nearing the end of our study in James. We have this week and then next week, James chapter 5, James wants you and I to learn how to pray. And can I just be honest with you? Uh, in the early years of learning to follow after Jesus Christ, I was not a good prayer. I, uh, I got who Jesus is. I understand that I'm forgiven of my sins. And then I sort of just got like the, the gist of what everybody seemed to be doing around me. Everybody seemed to be jumping on board and serving the Lord. Maybe it was in Awana or in youth group or someplace. And, and uh, you know, there's a tendency we're going to look at to not pray when you're young and strong. And uh, it, it's a beautiful thing to learn to pray through your life because you realize that the goal of your life is not to get X number of children in Awana. It's not to get X number of children in your youth group. It is, it is not even to have your own four children or two children do A, B, and C while they're under your tutelage, right? That's not the goal. The goal is raising children who are adults who love Jesus Christ. The goal is the kingdom of God coming in this place. The goal is Sheboygan turned upside down for the gospel The goal is so much greater than you and I can do with a neat little ministry, but it took the Lord a long time to teach me these things, and in fact, I have to be honest with you, I'm really still learning. And so as we approach James chapter 5 today, he, in every verse between verses 13 and 18, basically is saying to you and me, pray, 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 pray. He wants you and I to learn to pray. And uh, so we're going to do our best to take these verses and help help one another understand the context from whence they came, but the meaning for you and me today as well. James 5, 13, let's read. I'll read starting in verse 13. Here we go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, Father, to to grow in grace today and to understand your word to us, we need your spirit here in this place. Your word will not return void, but by the same token, if you would graciously reach in and open my heart to receive the word and plant it, Lord, uh, all of our hearts open this morning, you'd be doing such a beautiful act of grace in this place, and that's what we long for. 
So help us. Thank you for the privilege of knitting our hearts together as we serve your kingdom here in Sheboygan County together. And we pray and ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can get our, our brains wrapped around what prayer is really all about, um, I, I, I wonder, when I understand what prayer really is, why I have to be taught to pray. If prayer is really me coming into the presence of God, the holy, all-powerful one, the one who invented the concept of light and, uh, and, and designed the universe in his mind and spoke stars into existence, and to this day he holds them in their orbit, these crazy, powerful stars sending warmth and light our direction, he does for his own glory. This king who rules over everything, this king who is holy in all that he does, and yet invites me into his presence. I mean, prayer is my opportunity to, to walk into that setting. And all of us know we don't belong in that setting. The wages of sin is death. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so for, for a sinful person to come into the presence of God uninvited uh, and with sin in us, we would be forever separated and, and destroyed. But he, as we've already talked about this morning, has made a way for your sins to be forgiven. He has made a way for us to be right in his sight. He has made one who is Jesus to pay for your sin debt and my sin debt. He does not look to our sin. And in fact, for us to now not go into his presence is disobedience. Because not only has he made us in Christ Jesus acceptable in his sight, he has commanded you and me to come. Come boldly before the throne of grace. He's instructed you and me. And James has to say it again here. Guys, we should be praying. Pray. We need to be praying. Prayer is you and I coming into this presence, this place, this amazing place, and having the ear of God as we Roll the, the needs and concerns and issues of our heart over onto him. And he's so good to receive us. So here's the question I had getting ready for this week and, and in, even last week. Why do I have to be taught to, do, to pray? That, I know what prayer is, and, and I, I jotted down a few reasons, some of them kind of from James, some of them from my own experience, and I left a, a spot in your notes today. You may want to fill in your own reasons why you are reluctant to pray. So here are uh, a few hindrances to my prayer life, I'm being honest with you, and maybe you have a few hindrances to your prayer life you would take in the, and put in the notes area, but for me, my strength and giftedness. Now, I'm not saying I'm all that. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone here. I'm saying that I tend to, if I can fix a problem with my own strength, with my own resources, with my own giftedness, I tend to fix it without bothering God much. And by the way, uh, if I have a friend who has resources or giftedness that I think can address my problem, I tend to go and with my mouth appeal to that friend first before I go to the Lord. Can I I just remind you what what prayer is? Okay, prayer is 
us coming and verbally expressing our heart in relationship to God. Adam had a relationship with God where in the cool of the day they related to one another and they spoke back and forth. There was, there was give as Adam expressed his heart and there was definitely take as the sovereign one expressed his heart back to Adam. There was relationship. And so uh, my strength and giftedness, sometimes I tend to just say, look, if I can fix this, I'm not going to bother going into the presence of the king and asking for help. I'm just going to do it on my own. Maybe you do. And by the way, uh, I think that's sometimes why God gives us good gifts like this, removing my strength, making my giftedness for a season ineffectual. So that I'll stop the sin of not praying. So I have reason and motivation to say, oh, that's right. It's not about my giftedness, is it? It's not about I can overcome. It's not about me doing what I can and just, and just asking God to tack on some help once in a while when I feel like uh, I need it. It is absolutely me coming to the end of myself and prayer is this gift, this beautiful gift of me saying, it's you, God, it's not me. Second hindrance to my prayer life is this. I have a plan and selfish ambition. At the, basically, I have a, uh, uh, a not-so-covert scheme for what I want God to do for me. James 4, 1 through 3. Why do we have quarrel, quarrels? Why do we have arguments? Well, because we keep coming into the presence of God and asking selfishly so that we can spend whatever he gives us on our own self. Uh, listen, if that's your motivation for prayer, you're going to be like a, somebody I talked to this week who said, you know, I pray, but it doesn't work. What do you mean it doesn't work? What I mean when I say it doesn't work is God is not doing my plan and giving me the, uh, uh, the treasure of my motives, and so I, I don't like waiting on him any longer. And the Lord is so good to us, isn't he? Because he will hear that prayer time after time as you give it over to him, and until your plan becomes his plan and your motives become for him, it really, that's the beauty of prayer. When a friend comes to me and says, you know what, prayer doesn't work, I, I'll often think about how the Lord has taken my plan and my selfish motives and put me in a position where I had to realize I have to stop fighting for my way. And then I realized, oh, prayer does work because he didn't give me what I wanted. He changed God, changed me. You want to see a miracle? God changing this piece of work. That's a miracle. Right? And so, hindrances to prayer is my own plan. Number three, my doubt and pride. James chapter three, or James chapter one. Count it all joy when you have various trials, uh, brothers. And uh, by the way, when you come and you ask for wisdom from God, don't ask with doubt in your heart. Because this is what we do. We say, God, I need wisdom for you for what I should do with my life. And so we ask of it, and maybe he makes it very clear to you through a friend, but you don't, but I don't, like what God's asking me to do. So you remember when Gary taught us from James chapter 1 and said, listen, if you're going to go and ask for wisdom from God just so you can compare it to your own desire, don't do that. That's not going to work. When we come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and ask Him to give us wisdom for our life and to humble us and to put us in a position, we are in essence saying, all of my life is on this altar because I'm not coming to you as another opinion to consult. I'm coming to you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings and whatever you reveal for me to do in this situation, I will do. But my doubt and pride 
says, I've got plan A, my plan A. And if God is messing with my plan A, the first thing I start doing, first thing I stop doing is praying. It's a hindrance to my prayer life. When I start getting the gist that God's not going to do it my way and God's not going to give in to my desires. Number four, my lack of example. I don't have, I, I haven't been the example to my kids and to all of you I should be in the area of prayer. And maybe you feel the same way. You haven't been the example you should be in this area. Or maybe you would do something like this. I haven't seen this in action. I haven't really seen a, a man. I say man because I'm, you know, a man. I haven't seen a man in his prayer life. You could say I haven't seen a woman in his prayer life. What I love about James writing this James is the example of the prayer, but he doesn't put himself out there. Eusebius, the historian, tells us that James had uh, literally, they called him old camel knees because he was on his knees praying for the needs of the church, the early church, so much. He literally had calluses worn in his knees from praying. He doesn't bring that up, but here's what I'm bringing up to you. You have an example. James, you have an example who taught us to pray. And so for any one of us to say, well, the hindrance to my prayer life, I just haven't seen it too much. Can I just take that, that uh, hindrance off your and my list this morning? We have plenty of examples of people who pray. And they come straight out of the word, and the Lord has taught us, and James himself wants to teach us today. He wants to teach us something about our personal prayer life. So I'm, we're doing this a little bit different today. We're going to just kind of walk through. I had a top 10 reasons, or top 10 lessons of prayer, and it was too many. And so we're all the way down to eight. We've got the top eight reasons, or the top eight lessons of prayer today. So bear with me as we go through them. The first two are personal prayer lessons, right? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So this was an instruction of James to the individual. And let me just remind you the context of James writing this letter. He is writing to a group of Christians who are scattered out from Jerusalem. They had been there and been having their, uh, that's where their livelihood was. And they had, as they walked with Jesus and learned of Jesus and grew in Jesus, there, there came a, uh, a resistance against the Christian movement, and they started having their property seized, and they started having persecutions take place, and they are called the Christians of the diaspora, that is, they were dispersed from Jerusalem. So instead of having their rights in the city, they're marginalized, and now they live in pockets all over the region. So that's who James is writing to. And if you want to, you know, just say, well, how do you get all of that? Well, James, James chapter 1, uh, verse, well, verse 1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. So that's who he's writing to. Dispersed by persecution. Rights seized. Uh, uh, action, action within the culture, Marginalized. And so they're pushed off to the side, and they're not listened to. And, and so in the, in the personal prayer life of that individual, what should be taking place? Well, number one is that when we suffer, when you suffer, learn to bring your petitions to the Lord. So I'm going to talk about prayer for just a minute. 
When I suffer, I need to be able to bring my heart and my concern to the Lord. And I'm going to stop there and ask a very simple question. Do you do that? I am not talking about tack-on prayers in between songs while you drive your car. I'm not talking about that. I am not talking about whispering under your breath when your child drives you crazy. I am not talking about marginal little thoughts you think while you're walking through the day. I'm talking about you taking the, me taking the instructions of Scripture to go into a room in our house, to open the Word of God, to have a pad of paper with us, and to speak to that living king of the universe that we talked about a few moments ago, and we get our hearts right before him first, oh God, I know who you are. I know I don't deserve to be in your presence, and out loud, you are talking to God. Because that is what the individual's prayer life, according to James 5.13, should look like. If you are suffering, you should pray. You should have a a heart broken before the Lord. You should be speaking before the Lord. And by the way, here's another implication. That you don't first cry out to, because that's really what praying is, you don't first appeal to the people in your life who can fix the problem. You say, well, I got this need, and if everybody, every person in your life knows about it before you primarily and firstly go to the Lord, your prayer life needs a little bit of work. We need to get in the room. We need to get very in connection and connected with where our heart is before the Lord. We need to know who He is and who we are. And by the way, when we know who He is and who we are, our hearts are immediately humbled before Him, and then... We begin to speak out loud in prayer to the Lord. You suffering? Do you pray like that? You bring your heart verbally to the Lord. Now listen, the Lord knows your thoughts. There's nothing wrong with occasionally praying prayers to the Lord in your head. But if you're like me, you find once in a while you didn't mean for it to happen, but suddenly that's all of your prayer life. It's all while I'm driving. Is that what I'm going to give to the Lord? It's all while I'm doing, going from one activity to the next activity. Is that all I'm going to give to the Lord? Or I stop crying out to him and asking him for help and I'm crying out to the people in my life around me and asking them for help and I'm suffering, but I'm not crying out to the Lord at all. I'm crying out to people and asking them for help. And so if you are suffering, point number one, your personal prayer life needs to be cleaned up to the point where you are going before the Lord and praying to him. Now there's nothing magic about praying out loud. Okay, so you say you hear me saying, well, why out loud? Why out loud? Well, here's, I'm just telling you from my own personal experience, if I don't pray out loud, I lose track of what I'm praying about. I get distracted really quick. Can I just tell you that if I'm going into a place where I'm going to pray, I try to get rid of my phone. So many of us do our devotions and read our Bible on our phone. And I don't know about your phone, but can I tell you that, that there, not five minutes, especially in the early morning, goes by without my phone vibrating. Another thing coming through, another text, another email, another thing. And, and I cannot 
have a quiet time with God with my phone. I can't. It has to be someplace else. Now, I'm not saying you don't have your Bible on your phone. You don't appeal to it from time to time. I'm saying you have to find a place where for you, you can concentrate on the Lord. You can bring your sufferings to him in an uninterrupted way as you are meeting before him at his throne. Secondly, this should be true of you and me. When you're cheerful, learn to bring your songs of praise to the Lord. Do you do that? Some of you men I can see already. He's talking to me. I should be uh, singing a song of praise. We just talked about James. I mean, look at his life. He was, he's writing to people who have been dispersed, whose rights have been taken, who are marginalized, who are facing fear, who are facing a future of unknown. What do they have to be cheerful about? I'm glad you asked. I wrote a few things that a person in our place or in James's place could be cheerful about. The Lord has always provided for you. I know because you're here this morning. The Lord has always found a way to provide for every need of your life. Sing a song. The Lord has protected you and brought you to this place where you hear his word and you know his son, where you are in a fellowship of people who love you and want to serve the Lord with you. Sing a song. The Lord has taught you. The Lord has taught you. That is, that he's brought you from a place of not knowing the word and not living as closely as you ought to. And day by day, he's causing you and helping you to grow in grace and truth. He is uh, teaching you. Sing a song. The Lord has promised. Do you know that there is a future for you, for those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, a future that is totally taken up with and defined by victory and beauty and blessing and rest and God's presence and hope and mercy. God has these promises hanging out over your life. Your tomorrow is not defined by the political situation of the United States of America. It's not defined by your next presidential candidate. It's not defined by how much taxes you pay or don't pay. It's not defined by your kid and how the stage that he's at in his life, whether it's 16 or 26. It's not defined by any of those things. Your future is defined by hope and peace and victory and power and strength in Jesus Christ. My goodness, sing a song as you step in to that identity. The Lord has guided you this far. The enemy is vanquished forever. He may have moments of battle, victory in battle, but the war is over and he is vanquished forever. Genesis 3.15 is in a very powerful way already seen in your eyes and in my eyes. That is where Jesus, where God said, listen, Satan, you're going you're to crush the heel of, of the one who will come to put you to rest, but he will crush your head. And when Jesus rose the third day, the enemy is not was, not just was. He is vanquished from that point, and he is vanquished forever. And any place 
in your life where the enemy is, it's a beautiful thing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, as hard as this is, I may be dispersed from my family. I may be misunderstood. I may have rights taken from me. I may have property seized. I may live in a land where the government does not recognize you. But here's what I can say. The enemy is vanquished forever and ever. Sing a song. Sing a song. Your identity is secure in Jesus Christ forever and ever. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, sing a song. Jesus prepares a place for you. Right now, in heaven, he already has or is now working on your home where he is preparing a place for you to be with him. According to John 14, forever and ever, he's worked out the window situation. He's worked out the bed you're going to sleep in. If we sleep, I don't know, whatever. He's worked out the house you're going to live in. He has gone to prepare a place for you. And this world is not it. Sing a song. He knows your name. He knows your name. John 15, 14 is teaching us about this amazing shepherd. And we hear his voice. And we know his voice. And he knows our name. And he calls us to himself. And he will guide you home. Listen, my friends. I'm saying to you and I'm saying to me, we need to be a church characterized by people who who get alone with God and sing songs of praise to his name. It's interesting to me that we are taught when we suffer to bring the petitions to the Lord in the inner room, quietly. I have a friend who when he's quiet, I know that his heart is heavy because he does not bring his petitions to me. He brings them to the Lord. That's not not being real. That's obeying this passage of Scripture. But listen, I have a friend who even when his heart is heavy, he sings a song. I know that he's got a guitar in his basement. Yeah, he's got his guitar out, and he's singing songs of praise from a broken place, saying, blessed be the name of of the Lord. Do you sing a song? Not for your wife, not for your husband, but you won't not sing it if they're in the next room because you're singing a song of praise to the Lord for he is good. Is your heart ever cheerful? Guys, I want us to be a place where we are characterized while dispersed from the land we think we deserve, while the government rules over in a difficult way, while we look just like the Christians of James' day, we are not characterized by whining and complaining. And by the way, James is also trying to say to these guys, whatever you guys do, um, you might be tempted to rise up and have an uprising to take back the promised land here. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're suffering, pray. And if you're cheerful, learn to sing a song. And my heart is that we would be characterized by these things. Well, we're not just learning what takes place when, in the personal prayer life, but look at prayer in the life of the church. So secondly, my top eight lessons, we're going into my second heading, and that's all very confusing. You see, it's probably easiest explained in your notes. But if you're sick, call the elders to pray over you. So, so we're asking the elders to come and to minister a prayer and, and to help 
when we are sick. So a couple of things we should keep in mind here, that the, the onus or the initiation should take place in the, in the life of the person who's sick. So if you're sick and you would like the elders to come and pray over you, that is a righteous thing. Right? But two or three things keep in mind. Number one, you need to be convicted in your heart that this is the next thing or the right thing to do, that the elders would come and pray. Everyone who's sick doesn't necessarily, isn't commanded to call the elders to come. All right? so, so number one, the person who's, who's sick is, con, uh, is committed in their heart, I should call the elders to come and pray over me. All right? So the elders come, and before the prayer takes place, the next part that's implied here, or taught us, is that uh, the person who is sick confesses their sin. Now this is a big reason why people don't call the elders, to come and pray over them. Wait, i got to confess my sin. Yeah. Yeah, why is that? Well, let's work it through a little bit. There certainly, in, uh, in John chapter 5, we see that some sickness comes from sins. And so the, the elders are there to, to hear those things, but also to be a reminder to the person. The elder doesn't bring forgiveness, right? It says here that God brings forgiveness. But, but the elder coming brings, makes this a momentous and a big situation where the person who's inviting the elders to come is really searching their heart and asking, okay, do I have a part in this? Now, a couple of examples. Obviously, addictions break down the body. So if you're addicted to something, your body's going to break down. There's going to be sickness in your, in your life. If you don't believe the promises of God and you refuse to believe God, you're going to have anxiety about your future. You you are. And so there may be a portion of anxiety, not all anxiety, but there may be a portion of it that could be connected to unbelief, sin, that needs to be confessed before the Lord with the elders helping, the elders helping in the process. If you're somebody who's been characterized by so much sin in your past that you cannot walk in and step into your identity in Jesus. And by the way, can I just speak to you? If you're somebody who's characterized by sin in your past, the beauty of Jesus Christ is for you. The beauty of Jesus Christ seeing who you are, forgiving the sins of your past, unhitching you from the ugly weight of that sin, causing you to believe that Jesus has good plans for you, and then when God looks you in the eyes, he sees beauty. He sees his, his uh, created one. He sees one made in the image of Jesus Christ. It is so profound to get unhitched from the sins of your past. So one of the things we might do is look at the, the past and ask yourself, have you done business with this? Have you confess that to the Lord. Do you believe that God completely forgives you of those things? Can you step into this identity where God sees you as his beautiful daughter, as his amazing son? And so part of the whole prayer of faith thing is that as the, the process where the elders come and uh, it's, it's been a commitment or a conviction of the heart of the sick person to call the elders, and then there is this confession that takes place. Now let's stop before we move on. Most sickness in this world is not due to personal sin. Okay? I want to make that very clear. Now let me just say this, though. 
in the garden, things were perfect. And the result of the fall of mankind was the presence of death. So in the big picture, you and I should also realize that at some level, all suffering and sickness in this world has its root in sin. That's not necessarily to say personal sin. That's to say the presence of sin and fallenness in humanity in general. Romans 8 teaches us that the whole world is groaning, waiting for the Lord to return, and that he's going to restore everything to its intended, uh, to, to the way that it was supposed to be. So, so sin is a part of sickness. Generally speaking, sin, sin has brought difficulty in the world, and sometimes, specifically, my sin causes me to have physical brokenness. Now, the prayer of faith is a prayer that the Lord gives sometimes when the elders are gathered together. Because here's the natural question. This person got prayed over. That person got prayed over. One person's healed. One person's not. What's the deal? Why is that? And so we can't take this passage and just say, well, everybody who calls the elders to come and anoint them with oil gets, gets healed. That's not the case, and you, you know that to be, to be true. Paul left sick people in cities regularly, and we see him saying, well, greet my friend who's sick, right? So Paul understands that not everybody who gets prayed over by the elders gets physically healed. The, the, the raising up is a threefold raising up in this passage. The first raising up is the reality that every person that calls upon the name of the Lord will have their sins forgiven and belongs to him. This ultimate raising up is in salvation. That the Lord will raise up the one who trusts Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a second aspect to the raising up, and that's the reality that everybody who dies with Jesus as the one they're holding on to will be raised up in the last day. That is, they will, be, they will have their body come, uh, they will be raised and, and live with God forever in the, the body that they, they have. So those are guaranteed. And the third possibility is, is that if the Lord gives a prayer of faith in that moment, when we pray for God to act, that there will be divine healing. 1992. I was a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and I'd been there for about two weeks, and there was a, uh, a kid in our youth group who actually, I think, had, he had uh, graduated the year before. Long story short, he was sick unto death. The hospital sent him away because they didn't know what was going on. They thought it was a smaller deal. He came back the next day and uh, was literally then in a gurney in the hospital on a Monday night. Pastors from all throughout Columbus gathered at his bedside. I had never met the kid. The first time I ever saw him in my life, was when he was laying in that hospital bed. And we surrounded the, the bed and prayed for him, and the doctor said, we have no idea what this kid is going through. We don't know what's going on in his body. We don't know what to do. And so they waited, and we prayed. And we prayed Tuesday night at our church, and we, and we prayed Wednesday. And Thursday, uh, things started to turn a little bit, and the, the uh, inflammation in his whole body started to go down. And by the next Wednesday, he was healed. And by the next Wednesday after that, he walked out of the hospital and has not been back since. They still don't know what was wrong with him in that moment. But he was raised up. It was my privilege to do, the, do his wedding to see the Lord do a great work in this young man's life. Total miracle. Can I just tell you? God does miracles. God heals. 
I don't want you to hear what we just said in James and say, well, what he said was the, the raising up was only about salvation and it's only about being risen from the dead in the, in the day of Christ that will be with him forever. And the reality is we shouldn't expect God to act like that and heal people physically in this world. That's not what I said. God heals. Why he heals one and doesn't heal the other, I don't know. It's for his own purposes. But this I know, that prayer is a gift in the church for us to come together and to seek the Lord and to ask his favor and to ask that he work on behalf of the people who are sick and that we would be, and this is the next thing I want us to see, number four, the bigger picture thing is not that we are healed physically. Is that, uh, is, when the Lord cried out and, and healed people and, and healed Lazarus and Lazarus rose from the dead, that's an amazing thing, he rose from the dead. A couple of years later, don't know how many, Lazarus died for good. So it was a great miracle, don't get me wrong, that he can heal. But you know the greater miracle? That he can look in my life and forgive my sin. That he can wipe the slate clean because Jesus rose the third day. That I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if I confess my sins to him, he is faithful and will forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I can walk in that truth and you can walk in that truth day after day. Remember when Jesus did the miracle and he raised the, the sick man and, and the, the Pharisees were all up in arms and going, well, what are you doing here? You're he, you healed this guy? And he said, you, you, which is harder? For me to heal the guy or say your sins are forgiven? And Jesus was telling us the greater miracle is that sins can be forgiven. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. When we come before the Lord, confess our sins, we see all of life is belonging to him, we stop arguing about our way, and we come to this place where we realize that even in our brokenness, as we can confess, you know the word confess? The word confess doesn't mean make a list of. The word confess doesn't mean that uh, I I have uh, remembered mystically every little thing I've ever done wrong. The word confess means I say the same thing about my sin that God says about my sin. And when I come to him in prayer, I am saying the same thing about my sin that he's saying. That my impatience and my control is, is ugly. And that Jesus died for that. And I am not trying to say, yeah, but. And I'm not trying to make the case that in my case, I'm not trying to make the case that it's okay for me. I'm coming before the Lord, confessing my sin. My, my uh, life is splayed out before him and just saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do here, it's all up to you. And that's really what confession is all about. Say the same thing about your sin that the Lord says about your sin. And listen, God forgives sin. That's even better than healing. That is healing. Okay, praying for friends. We're going to have to cruise through this. We need and want to be a place where we pray for one another. Look at verse 16. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's what we need to be about. All of James has been talking to us about wisdom with our words, hasn't it? And so we get unwise with our words, and we talk negatively about the people in our life, rather than talking to God. 
about the people in our life. And so James 5 is just saying, guys, let's get this order right. Here's what we need to do. Stop talking about our friends. Stop saying negative things about them. And start bringing them to the Lord. Let's pray for one another. Let's be a body of believers where we take the need of our friends and we're not critical of them and we're not angry against them and we're not bitter against them and we don't talk about their needs to other people. We talk about their needs to God. Pray for one another. James 4.11. And we continue on praying for friends. The greatest thing that we can pray for our friends, because that's the question, right? What do we pray for our friends? We pray that they would receive and joyfully submit to the divine plan. So that is a... If you wonder, okay, all of this, what do I pray for others? We are praying that they would see what the divine plan is all about and that they would submit to it. That they would see what God is doing in their life and they would, they would be at peace with God doing what he's going to do in their life. So that's our sixth lesson of, of prayer through this passage. The greatest thing we can pray for our friends is that they would joyfully submit to the divine plan. So we see personal prayer. We see prayer in the church. We see prayer for friends. And lastly, I want us to see uh, the example of the prophet. And here's another way that I might, that I might label this. Prayer for the nation. Because uh, let me tell Elijah's story really quick. Elijah is a prophet in the land, and there's an evil king on the throne, just like James, just like you, just like me. There's an evil king on the throne, Ahab and Jezebel. And so Jezebel is putting forth all of this sexual immorality in the land. And Ahab is putting forth all this violence in the land. And they are putting out there this option and saying, hey, people of God, because he's the king of Israel after all. He's the king of the people of God. He's saying, don't turn to the Lord your God only. Turn to many gods. And he sets up all of these places where they can worship And all of these idols are put in place. And so what does Elijah do? Does he come and and have rebellion in his heart in Jerusalem? No. He's removed from the capital. And God puts him in a no man's land. He puts them at the brook brook Kidron for a while. And ravens come. And so you know what he finds out? Oh, that's right. The Lord always provides. I wonder how many songs Elijah sang at the Brook Kidron. How many times he was seeing the, the ravens bringing him food. Oh, goodness. Look at the Lord taking care of me. But then the water dries up, and he moves from there and goes to uh, the, the widow at Zarephath. You remember that? He goes into her house, and she says, Hey, listen, all I got is a, like one last biscuit I'm going to make up. I'm, me and my kid, we're going to eat. And, and Elijah says, Well, listen, give that biscuit to me. By the way, that's, that's what I would have said, too. Give that biscuit to me, right? And, and, and so the Lord miraculously provided for the need. And so what is, what is happening? And when the, the nation is on the line, what is Elijah doing in, in Zarephath? He's learning how to pray. He's learning that the Lord provides for his servants. Then the widow's son dies. And the widow comes to him and says, what, what up? You come into my house and you brought horrible, you know, trouble to me. What are you doing here? And so what does is, what is Elijah do? Goes before the Lord, oh Lord, okay, you're going to have to do this. And you know what the Bible says? 
as Elijah's learning to pray? The Bible says in 1 Kings 17, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Guys, when you learn to pray, when I learn to pray, the Lord will listen to our voices. He didn't lead a rebellion. He didn't rise up. He went to no place, served nobody, and learned how to pray. Can I just say, I think that's exactly why James uses him as an example. Because in the United States of America and in the world today, the answer is not an uprising. The answer is not a a Christian mighty fist. The answer is that all of us are content to learn how to pray. To come before the Lord individually and answer the question, do I speak out loud to God about the needs of my life? To come before the Lord and answer this question in the midst of this ugly dispersion where Christians seem to be marginalized and pressed out and pushed out. Am I finding things every day to be cheerful about so that I sing a song? And my voice is quiet in the inner place when I cry out to the Lord for the need of the moment, but my voice is loud and heard when I cry out about how He is providing cheerfully. I am singing songs, even if we're not great singers. And I'm learning how to pray for the needs of the church. And I'm learning how to pray for the needs of my friends. And I'm learning how to pray for the needs of my nation. And you remember what happened when Elijah finally challenged the prophets of Baal. I mean, this is the example that James finally comes to. For three and a half years, no rain. Now, there's rain. And in that moment, if you recall, the whole point of the prophets of Baal versus Elijah alone was that God was proving himself before a large group of people that his promises are true. Elijah, his whole life, kept saying, I'm the only prophet, I'm the only prophet, I'm the only prophet. And at the end, after it rained, God came to to Elijah and said, Elijah, stop saying that. You're not the only prophet. You're not the only faithful one. I've reserved 7,000 people you don't even know about. And listen, in the United States of America and in the world today, God is at work. And no matter what the government in any nation at any time looks like, you and I should not think that it's going to be some physical uprising that's going to take the day. It's going to be when the people of God are content to go to the no places and serve the nobodies and learn to pray together. And we are going to cry out to the Lord together. And we are going to say individually in our life, Oh God, you see my suffering. And when it's time to praise the Lord, we are going to have list upon list and song upon song. Like the praise team is coming right now to to sing with us a song in response to what we've heard today. And just to lift up our voice and say, Lord, whatever's been going on in the world around us, whatever's been happening, here's my prayer today. My heart is settled on you. My heart is right there with you. And today, in this place, I'm going to sing a song to you. For my heart is cheerful, and you are good. And you and me together, ah, 
Let us learn to pray. Father, help us as we sing this song. For some, it will be just a discipline, just a thing to do because some guy in front said to do it. But for others, it is going to be a response of a taught heart of your word to say, okay, no matter what my eyes see in the political climate, in the international climate, in the world situation, whether it's ISIS, whatever it is, I'm going to bring my concerns to you, Lord. And my mouth is going to be full of singing because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.